Podcasts as we continue our season of Christmas specials and discuss Voyage of the Dam. I'm Caleb Woodbridge and I'm Swivel Dobson. So We've been working our way through these Christmas specials. You and the rest of the gang did The Christmas Invasion and The Runaway Bride uh, in my absence. Thank you for holding the fort and doing those. So, And now we turn to the one that's the beginning of Series 4, which has Kylie Minogue as the guest star and is a sort of Titanic in space, the Poseidon adventure disaster movie thing. So it came straight after TARDIS having the Titanic crash into it after the Doctor had defeated the Master and Martha had left and all that. So what are your memories of it from when you first saw it? I think my memory was, yay, Kylie Minogue died, and I liked Richard from Keeping Appearances in it. It was always a good reminder, because he was also in Revelation of the Daleks. Yeah, it's Mr. Copper, is it? In 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 this one or in in, in this in one. this I think he's in this one yeah yes and I can't re- I can't remember his name in Revelation of the Dice. he's mm-hmm. like hey Richard keeping appearances is, is there and beyond that I seem to get, remember being quite irritated by it <laughs> I think um, I liked this one a little better than uh, the Runaway Bride which I felt peaked with that motorway chase sequence and then it was sort of just run around or well that was run around but it was good run around oh yeah it, it, it was more like hearted it was more of a run around it didn't quite have the same punch or weight as a story as a story as the Christmas invasion I felt this was a stronger story again and it looked really good it it worked reasonably well in terms of trying to do that kind of Hollywood blockbuster thing on the BBC budget mm-hmm. I remember seeing the trailers for it in the cinema and uh, it looked very impressive. But I I did feel that there was something about it that didn't quite gel together. I, I, I did enjoy it, but with certain reservations. And I think uh, I'll probably revisit some of those uh, as we come come back to it now, see whether they stand up. I, I I think it didn't quite mesh together. It did seem it's it's a very dark episode for a doc, uh, for a Doctor Who Christmas special. It's a bit of an odd combination, a bit bit of an odd artistic choice. It makes sense in response to the Doctor saving everyone, the floaty Messiah. Uh, Jesus Doctor at the end of series three, it's kind of giving a counterpoint to that, I think, by having the Doctor not being a super saviour messiah figure, but the bleakness of it is a bit unchristmassy. Let's hit the play button and we'll dig into it. So here we are in the TARDIS. In the original TARDIS set, again. Um, original for the right. new series. Right. Yeah. 
It's not a nightclub anymore. <laughs> so, the Titanic crashing in, and the no traditional what, what, what. This was marvellously random uh, at the end of the first series. Was this reshot or was this the identical? Uh, I'm not sure. Of course, we did also have time crash sketch in between here with uh, Peter Davison popping up in the TARDIS. Do you ever see that before? The TARDIS kind of re-sorting itself out? Or was that the... the um, Mm. the Titanic disappearing he thinks it's, uh, yeah he just rewinds it I thought that was a bit um, slightly too easy <laughs> solution <clears throat> and oh who's that have we seen her somewhere before <laughs> it's Jason Donovan <laughs> <laughs> and here we've got the heavenly hosts uh, looking positively angelic they rather like the robots from the robots of death just in that That's whole true. aesthetic of these golden faces and obviously turning evil and killing people pretty much I know they, they seem to remind me of the, the replacements for the uh, robot Santas which had appeared uh, the mm. previous two years as well yes um and the doctor finds that he's in on the Titanic in space. Or is it the Olympia? Have you not heard about the Titanic conspiracy theory that the Titanic wasn't actually the Titanic? It was another ship, I think it was called the Olympia. Yeah. What? <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that. Oh, okay. no. oh Google it. Um, yeah, the, 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 the claim was a massive insurance fraud. <laughs> um, so, so just like this, basically. <laughs> Because oh. this is insurance for Max. What's his Oh, face? it could well be then. I, I had completely <laughs> could, forgotten. Could, could this have been a uh, conspiracy theory being part of Russell T. Davies' inspiration for the story? Who that I is? It could well have been. I, I remember. I don't know a huge amount about it, but I just remember um, reading that at some point. Um, just bear, bear a little resemblance to the. Uh, Oh, no, the beast below. No, it doesn't. The ship. The, the, the ship. The, sh- the ocean liner in space is a great image. Well, yeah, because it's actually a ship. Yeah. And it's a spaceship, which is a ship in space. Yes. It, um, and it harks back, uh, harks back to enlightenment with the ships in space as well. Uh, the Peter Davison story. Here we've got Midshipman Frame, um, Russell Tovey, also of being human and uh, yeah and oh what's his face Jeffrey Palmer, Palmer who had previously appeared in Silurians oh yes of course as uh, oh, private secretary or something or other in the um, British government hmm the young conscientious chap putting himself in danger unknowingly. Of course, um, Douglas Adams wrote a computer game called Starship Titanic. Did he? Yeah. Hmm. What was that like? Was that... I don't. I didn't play it. I just know it exists. Fastest 
he look this Max just looks the most dodgy character possible <laughs> yeah. here. He reminds me of I'm oh, a bit like the supreme leader in V for Vendetta. Oh, on the big screens, mm. uh, I can't remember what his name is, but isn't that John Hurt in? It could well be. Um, it'd be a role he would. Now, is this the f- like, well? Is this is the first time we see the Doctor in a tuxedo. No, um, he had it previously in Rise of the Cybermen and in um, uh, what, what was it? Um, the Lazarus Experiment, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. So, tourist information point. There's a, there's a comment on like the tourist touristization of everything. You have heaven, <laughs> heavenly hosts, these kind of angelic beings, mm. which are clearly are robots, but um, giving out tourist information. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, not tempting fate at all. <laughs> and we've got um, oh, what's his name? But Manakafalata, the red spiky guy. Now I reckon um, Russell T Davies must have been in writing in Coffee Mania when he came up with that name, and it was Banana uh, Cafe Latte ran together. That's where the name came ah. from. Malfunctioning robots. And the return of the green light. Oh no, I had a little bit of green lighting. <laughs> we, we noticed that they had three colours, lighting colours, which were pink, green and blue. Mm. Oh, did you spot in the Christmas... Uh, not in the Christmas in the Runaway Bride the same corridors that are used for Storm Cage River Songs Prison yes uh, with slightly different lighting being used for Under the Thames that is about as secure as the Storm Cage yeah uh, she's uh, being told off by a snob a good way to get our sympathy for Kylie Minogue yes who's clearly a nasty chap Mm. He reminds me. He's not, but he reminds me of the guy who was on um, Sarah Jane Adventures, who happens to be an insurance advert. <laughs> I, can't, I cannot remember his name. So, would would you say you're a fan of Kylie Minogue? <laughs> well, um, am I trying to? Well, how, considering I hold names in s- somewhat of contemptuously, uh, and I generally dislike her music, probably not. Mm. <laughs> Um. Yeah, I I wouldn't say that I'm particularly a Kylie fan. Um, I never particularly watched Neighbours, and I'm not uh, particularly into her music. But I think she turns in a decent turn as Astrid in this story. Mm. I wouldn't say it's. Uh, sort of the best performance in Doctor Who no. ever, but it's perfectly 
Uh, it does what perfectly it's perfectly fine. supposed to. This is somewhat reminiscent of the end of the world. You've got them looking mm. down on Earth from a, a spaceship again with Christopher Eccleston. Mm. Uh, she does it with Rose. Although that's the end of the world, isn't it? And it's just a blower. But, uh, when I when I heard that Kali Minogue was in it, it it felt very much of a case of oh let's get somebody who's famous mm. to, to to come in. So that probably prejudiced my um, my view of it somewhat. Yeah, but it, it, it is pretty impressive as far as stunt casting goes. Kali Minogue is quite a well known name. Yeah. I wouldn't say she was miscast at all. No, and it doesn't seem to be completely written around her, unlike um, last year's one with the shark, which would be completely written around Catherine Jenkins, who doesn't actually do anything. Except sing. <laughs> yeah, but it's completely written around so she can. It's not that bad. Oh, and here we've got the likeable working class uh, characters. For, with... But now, isn't he from... Was it he in the Tracy Beaker TV series? The only thing I know about the Tracy Beaker series is I used to live with an actress who was in a few of the episodes. Um, That's um, that's as far as my knowledge of Tracy Mm. Beaker goes. Oh, yeah, another thing we can do with this episode is play Spot Peter's sister-in-law because she was an extra in Ah. some of these scenes. Well, we'll we'll attempt to... We haven't seen... (laughs) That was quite a good line about the buffalo wings. Uh, Did they win a prize to get on the ship? Mm, Yes. They're a little bit like... um, Because they're keeping appearances, Link. The whole QE2... Episode, the one when you go, I don't know if you watched it, when they no. go on the QE2 and uh, Onslow and Rose win win a prize, and so they have dinner with the captain and things. Mm. And it's very much that kind of working class um, yeah. clash with um, the middle and upper classes. Mm. Here's Mr. Copper. Do you know where this was filmed? I think it was in the coal exchange down in Cardiff. Oh, uh, okay. Do you recognise the interior? <laughs> I I was I've been in there once or twice. There's there's some fun stuff just with the garbled understanding of Earth culture. <laughs> the great god Santa. Well, it's a very quite quite good reference for how things play out these days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eating the the Turkish people. Phenomics. It's got a Mickey Mouse degree. <laughs> It's nice to see Jimmy V being kept in a job. You see the um, 
Yeah, he's bending over there. Uh, if you're a dwarf and an actor, you'll generally get parts sometimes. There aren't many of you. He, he, he also played the mocks of Balgoon and various oh, yeah. other Doctor Who. So, so abandoned Cardiff Street. Is, does it say it's Cardiff, or did they say? It's well, it's supposed to be London, but it is in fact Cardiff. Oh yeah, yeah, it, um, it's it's the street where they film everything. Well, just a bit further around the corner, or <laughs> the shopping centres. Yeah. That's the church uh, in which they filmed the Runaway <laughs> Bride. Right, yeah. Right. Um, oh, they've done the usual trick of sticking up an underground sign. And then just blow up uh, Christmas mm. lights and things. It's interesting, uh, the Australian accent. Presumably lots of planets live in Australia as well as the North. Yes. Oh, we have Wilf. Yay, the introduction of Wilf. Not named as such in this episode. He's just a news vendor. But... It is very nice to see him. Uh, is there a reference to him being this vendor in the next series, or or is he supposed to be like a standing character? Like, is he not? Is he supposed to be Will Fear? Well, um, ba- basically, uh, after oh, I've forgotten his name, but uh, sadly, the actor who played Donna's dad in the Runaway Bride. Yeah. Died. That was it. And so they then did a quick rewrite to make uh, this character, who'd just oh. been a, a small, small yeah. part, uh, to be Donna's um, grandfather. Uh, and then, yeah, rewrote the scenes to give. <laughs> it, it is a real bit of a cod attempt at London. They put a post box at the back, a red telephone mm. box. A black London cab, and then they cut to Nicholas Witchell outside uh, yeah. <laughs> Buckingham Palace. Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> so in terms of uh, things like. Uh, have you seen the Poseidon Adventure? So no. I think this quite heavily references that. I know the general gist of the Poseidon Adventure, but I've never actually seen it. Mm-hmm. It was remade. A uh, couple of you have you seen the original? Or the I've not seen either. Poseidon, no. The original, I think, it was one of the original was part of the seventies disaster movie mm. um, kind of glut, and then was one of the things that was remade. Was it three, four years ago it was remade? Yeah. Because, of course, this being Doctor Who, um, there has to be a villain. And here we have, well, Geoffrey Palmer isn't the villain as such, but he's the one who's uh, been compromised, who has cancer, who is following orders to... Uh, have money for his family or something I think it was but it's quite a <laughs> dark moment again and... 
in a way, Doctor Who always has a villain, although something like Midnight, which came in the season afterwards, yeah. in a way doesn't have one. Do you think this story would have worked if um, it hadn't had a villain, if it had just been they got hit by meteors, that there was a failure, and it was going to crash into Earth? Yes. Um, I think, because you were saying before, I mean, the general concept is bad thing happens mm-hmm. externally. How do people react to it? And that's pretty much, I think, the basis of the story because the justifications for the villain characters and the compromised ones are somewhat cliched and cod. Um, so, stripping that away and having it purely on a, um, a more disaster movie or just would then have given you more time to focus on other characters. Mm-hmm. And giving a bit more continuity and focus, whereas it can seem a little little focused. I just remember at times it, it does jump in tone. Now, one of the things about this special is that it's um, uh, ten minutes longer than the standard Christmas specials, because uh, rather than being um, an hour long, it's an hour and ten minutes. The longest. What's the longest we've had? The end of time part two was that an hour and ten minutes as well. I think they were both an hour. I think oh, this is the longest single episode the new series has done. Yeah, okay, I know they genuinely added like ten, fifteen minutes on, but um... oh, wait a moment! No, I'm, I tell a lie. Um, the uh, journey's end was seventy-five minutes. So yes. It was the longest at this point. What do you think about the um, having it as just a disaster movie rather than a... Yeah, I don't know. I think, obviously, um, uh, villains are usually a normal part of Doctor Who, but I don't see any reason why you couldn't mix up the formula, just have um, a ruthless character within the group trying to survive or something like that as a, more of a villain uh, yeah. fig- figure um, yeah because Max Capricorn is not really going to top the charts for <laughs> Doctor Who villains anytime soon no it's just I'm Max Capricorn and I'm nasty with a smile um because, I mean, you could use that guy, I can't remember his name, as kind of more the ruthless, yeah. I'm going to survive at all costs, to hell with everybody else, character. Um, Ooh, it's all happening. Building up for impact. Building up for it to get blown up. That was actually quite well done, though. Yeah. That was nice. Nicely directed. An edited sequence. Yeah. Whee! Crash, bang, wallop. (laughs) The effects aren't bad, and it's put together quite well. I mean, it's got... Yeah, I I think production-wise, it's very well done. We had Uh, James Strong directing it, I think there's... Didn't he do the Impossible Planet and the Satan Pits? 
remember rightly. Quite possibly, I don't remember. And oh, here come the robots turning evil. As they almost certainly were the first time we saw them. <laughs> so, what do you think of the whole evil angel agenda in Doctor Who? <laughs> so you've got the weeping angels now, you've got the heavenly hosts. Well, at least in one respect, it's actually getting towards a more pre-pre-Raphaelite idea of an angel. Yeah. Which is a good thing, in, in my eyes. Because the whole thing about Christmas is that uh, when the shepherds saw uh, the angels, it wasn't these cute little fairy green oh. creatures um, uh, going la la la. The idea was, was that uh, this was the army of heaven, and so of course it was terrifying <laughs> uh, when they turned up. And so the whole thing of them then going, uh, peace on earth and goodwill to all men is really a massive twist and surprise. It's not what you expect from the massed army of heaven. <laughs> no, I mean, you don't expect the pre-Raphaelite angel to say, um, do not fear, as their first line. When you clearly won't fear me because I'm about two foot tall and have wings. <laughs> it's like, yay, I'm a nice, nice angelic angel, so... More menacing angels are, I think, certainly the way forward. Although, still not as good mm. as... I still want them to turn them into Thor and have a big hammer. <laughs> <laughs> that was always my idea for a... Um, a, 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 a grittier... Um, oh, someone's at the airlock. Well, it's not really an airlock, it's just someone in space. <laughs> uh, it, was, it was my idea for doing the um, gritty nativity. We actually had the massacre of the innocents <laughs> as well. Yeah, because I guess although this story is in some ways bleak, the Christmas story, when you actually go back to the Bible and read it, it isn't all sweetness and light. No. <laughs> in the slightest. You started with the census, just so you could tax somebody. <laughs> justice. That's a bad start to begin with. So... One of the games you can play watching these things is guess who's going to die and who's going to survive. <laughs> who, who, um, were you, do you, um, did you make guesses when you were watching it and were you correct in your predictions? Um, I don't know if I actively guessed, but I, I wasn't very surprised when certain people went, put it that way. Um, as ever, it's an inverse. It's inversely proportionate to how many like dialogue, dialogue lines you say. The less you say, the more likely you are to die, and the more likable you are. Um, oh yeah. There's well, there's a sort of bell curve of, um, um, depending on um, how uh, likable you are, then either you'll get killed off quickly to. Uh, create sympathy because it's like um, if you're cute female only get a few lines um, and appear in uh, early on then you're probably doomed because <laughs> it's a shortcut way of creating sympathy for that character so you actually care when they get killed they really are the robots of death but also, in a way, the way they've been put together, they're a little bit like the uh, Headless Monks. Mm. 
to some extent as well. Again, following the uh, religious theme. <laughs> that was stupid. The deadly halos. <laughs> yes, it's Russell Toby. Hello. <laughs> how, how, how long did it take Russell T. Davis to actually get Hello Sailor into the dialogue? <laughs> and to Russell Tovey at the same time. <laughs> Seemed to work quite well. Little bit place fires in the background, you know, just just nice lighting, really. Not really going to mm. cause anybody any harm. Mm. Where it is? A nuclear storm drive. <laughs> nuclear is bad, kids. Well, that's something. That's an interesting thing. You don't really have huge issues in the same way you had in some of the earlier. Because if you have like late sixties stuff, mm-hmm. everything's nuclear. Yeah, like in the early seventies, everything has this nuclear edge. It yeah, it's not really there to make any point. I no. think it's just so that if it crashes, they can go. Yeah. Oh, it'll wipe out half the planet. So no, just making in, in comparison to there isn't there isn't overarching. Doesn't seem to be overarching political or social themes in modern Who's there was. Say, say, especially in the backdrop of nuclear stuff in the sixties. Good question. Here, the doctor gets his hero speech, and I believe at this point I got really annoyed and wanted to throw things at him. Oh, the messianic music appears. <laughs> It'll get more messianic, yeah. It's just you, wait. <laughs> I haven't done my world tour yet. <laughs> but it is setting him up for his failure as well. Yeah, he doesn't save everyone. It's true. It's, it's true. But I don't know, he just reminds... Well, in retrospect, it reminds me of the Doctor just laying out his CV again. <laughs> Which we have the worst offence. It's also one of those trailer moments. You know this bit's going to be in the trailer. <laughs> they just put in just so they can put it into the trailer. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting worried these days as to what to what extent are they making films or what extent are they making trailers? <laughs> because the entire film is in the trailer these days. Sometimes the trailers are things that aren't in the actual film. As oh, well. I was also... Oh, you, did you... Another thing that's interesting is that the Doctor's age seems to now be synchronous with, uh, at this point, with his, um, with with us watching. So a year of the series is a year for the Doctor, because if he's nine hundred, there's been three years uh, in our time since. Uh, the show came back when he claimed to be 900 years old to Rose oh, and now he's 903 oh I hadn't noticed that that's quite and, a, uh, and I, I think that's fairly consistent through um, through I think at some point we we get that a couple of times 
that he's roughly the same age. Although there is quite a lot of space towards the end of his run for him to go off and have uh, some adventures. Whereas, but it does seem to be that because with Matt Smith, we've just had him running around for 200 years. So, That's true. Uh, of the Doctors, he seems to be one of the longer-lived incarnations, because they do seem to vary quite a bit, um, just because uh, if you look at the ages given, um, some of them have much bigger jumps in age than others. What's the first age given, is it? I think it's 450 in... Um, might be in Tomb of the Cybermen, or I think it's a uh, Patrick Troughton story. And then Tom Baker says he's 700 at some point. Yeah, and um, then um, he's 950-ish by the Colin Baker, um, Sylvester McCoy thing. Then he mysteriously <laughs> jumps back down to 900 for Christopher Eccleston. Um because uh, in the books and spin-offs, he, I think he reached another, had another couple of hundred years adventures. So he must have lost track and just decided to start again from nine hundred. Uh, probably just forgot. <laughs> didn't want to admit that he'd passed the big one thousand. <laughs> You do have to wonder how he possibly can keep track of it. Yeah, and how? By, by what measurement? The sun moving? Or, like, just, which Earth? Was it Gallifrey orbiting something? Is he always going to keep that in mind or something? Is it? But then Gallifrey has regular cycles around its sun or something. Or does the TARDIS translate um, time spans into local measurements? <laughs> Cyborg's getting equal rats We've got a little subplot here. You have an equal rights comment. Oh, is it? It's in um, Hellboy Two in a TV scene, a TV in the mm. back of a shop. About is it species marriage or oh yeah or or, or something like that? <laughs> um, seems to be a common little comment. I love the fact that down below it looks like they've just got a fire. It's like they're keeping themselves warm in the back background with their blue lighting. <laughs> uh, well, orange and blue are complementary colours, so they often go a bit overboard with um, grading. Uh, them to be blue and orange, especially in Hollywood movies these days. Because, I mean, you guess uh, the blue contrasts with skin tones quite well, quite mm. often. But uh, what you get is often it'll be rather overdone. Because, and also there's a trend for things to be a very washed out blue at the moment. So, see the Harry Potter films and oh, yeah. the sort of Twilight look and also they've gone for that with the Matt Smith Doctor Who quite a lot it's very often uh, a sort of washed out dark corridors <laughs> yeah it's kind of like the um, 
horror light look. Mm. This brooding kind of yeah, washed out. Washed out. Look. I just realised you kind of have angels of death. Hmm. Yeah. Um, the angels of death. <laughs> that would be a good Doctor Who story title. Yeah. It's the something of something title, yeah. and therefore is a. And this has got one as well. It's, uh, it's not really the voyage of the damned, and they kind of kept away from the of or of the titles mm. uh, quite well up until now. That up until then. Yeah, what other ones have we had these days? Planets of the Dead. Planets of the Ud. Oh, classic. <laughs> Trap your hand in the door. Which is Ooh. a pleasant thing. He's very clean cut in his, his nastiness, that character, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. No way. He's not the most nuanced <laughs> of... Uh, Oh no, it's the fat guy getting stuck. Uh, this is a comment on obesity. <laughs> I was fair. Well, actually, we did have that because you had the uh, Adipose episode, is the one immediately follows this. <laughs> um, oh, smashed its head off. Well done. Get the blood on his shirt, which is quite unusual. You don't usually see much in the way of blood in Doctor Who. Unless, of course, it's not red. Mm. And then you can see as much as we want. Green, particularly. It's interesting uh, how in New Who, the insides of in the workings of spaceships always look like factories somewhere. <laughs> Uh, 20th century factories usually ones to be found within the easy striking distance of Cardiff strangely enough really? <laughs> I'd have never have guessed that <laughs> ever South Wales post-industrial landscape <laughs> they, they haven't done nothing quarries though really <laughs> they've they really missed a trick of, there must be enough quarries in Wales somewhere yeah they've used a few let's see um, in the Satan pit, um, yes. in um, end of time, had, um, waters of Mars. Okay, quite a few. I just realised that David Tennant's text is still immaculate. <laughs> His poster hasn't moved. It's. <laughs> the doctor had the last few minutes. I like that line. Very nice. I, I think it would be quite a fun. Um, Doctor Who story to have the Doctor going back to see the Nativity, but the problem would be, I guess, uh, the whole um, 
I think a lot of Doctor Who fans would be upset with um, uh, the Christmas story being credited with that degree of factuality. Because uh, there's quite a few... Well, it's quite... Uh, just judging from the forums, I'm sure some of the more... Um, militantly atheist uh, on there would be up in arms no, quite a few uh, that'd be quite funny though, really. it would be quite funny um, <laughs> I, I guess it would be a bit of a delicate balancing act to tell the story in a way that um, wasn't completely pointless um, that, that didn't offend horribly either Christians or everyone else. I was going to say about offending people, it's like, you can always do a life of Brian. <laughs> because that actually is very orthodox mm. in its portrayal of of the nativity. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have a side character as well. Yeah. As much as Jesus himself appears on screen, it is incredibly fact- like, well, it's incredibly faithful to the accounts in the Gospels. But I clearly upset most Christians anyway. <laughs> Mainly singing, always look on the bright side of life when you're hanging on the cross. Yeah. Oh. Big special effects section sequence over the... Now, isn't this not like... Before, oh, we like the end of the world. Okay, let's just make it slightly less clean and more kind of... Um, kind of steampunky. Do you know the end of the world? We have to walk through the... Um, Fans, yeah, the fans, but, you, but you've got this single walkway mm. with like this, well, something where you can fall down oh. <laughs> into a nice big. <laughs> oh, the doctor can't always keep his promises. Oh. It reminds me of the Bridge of Khazad-dûm in Lord of the Rings films as well. So, just like, the very narrow walkway. Oh, then of course you've got the invisible one in um, Indiana Jones oh, yes. and the Last Crusade. This uh, is all that leap of faith walking through. I'm sure it's not the Doctor Who link because it's Julian Glover in. Oh, yes. Because old Julian Glover. He was in the City of Death and the Crusade. Yes, he was King Richard in the Crusades. Was a very good one too. Um, which unfortunately we have a couple of episodes of. Which reminds us, we have now got episode two of Oh yes. the Water Menace, and one of the episodes of Galaxy Four. Yeah, and I can't remember so which one. It, oh yeah, it's really cool. They've discovered some new episode. Well, we covered some. Uh, of the missing episodes. Now, if I was picking stories <laughs> to have episodes recovered from, they wouldn't be top of my list. Um, but it's still nice to have them. Welcome back. Professor Zaroff yeah. from the Water Meadows, who's particularly now, over the top. Now, if you could trade uh, trade those episodes in for any other missing episodes, um, which would... Which would you choose? Which would be top of your missing episodes? Well, I mean, you'd probably... you probably have to go for 
Temple Planet 4 Power of the Darks 1 yeah that's what I reckon um, this Apart from those, I would really like the missions to the unknown. Oh uh, yeah, because I watched the reconstruction. That's really quite good. These mm. um, missions to the unknown, and of course, has the first appearance of Nicholas Courtney. Oh yes, of course. As well as, uh, oh, I can't remember his name. Um, oh, I can't remember. His name. And it also Brett Vian. Yes, Brett Vian. That's correct. It also has Brian Canton from Dapple Down Farm fame. Who also okay. who also appeared in other Doctor Who episodes as well. Uh, but yeah, the mission to the unknown the number three. Yeah, oh, I hope they turn up. It, it, it is good though. It is it is nice to know that um, not all hope is lost because it's increasingly rare now for these episodes to turn up. Because back in the nineties or so, they found. Um, Missing stories reasonably regular. Well, they had uh, two of the Cybermen under a Mormon temple. Mm. Here we have the flying angels now. They developed. <laughs> Was that for the American market? So maybe it looked like he's playing baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like a deadly game of ultimate frisbee. <laughs> And you're not trying to catch them. If your doctor was flying, you could almost be Quidditch. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the cyborg saves the day with any impulse. There we go, the angels have fallen. Fallen angels. Oh. Oh, Alec Afalata is dying. Um. Oh. Now all we need is the power of love and then we'll become fully human. from uh, Victory of the Darbicks and doesn't explode (laughs) with his nuclear powered interior which is is a bit like um, Iron Man's Iron Man's kind of uh, crystal chest chest thing yeah Doctor Who has crossed over into Marvel continuity before uh, because in the comic strips because Doctor Who magazine used to be published by Marvel um, I think uh, in one in one comic he uh, dropped off Death's head onto the Fantastic Four's tower so it's one of the things I quite like about Doctor Who is that it's a bit of a nexus point between different continuities because um, you can get from the Marvel Universe into the EastEnders Universe, for example, via <laughs> Doctor Who. Yes, you can. Although EastEnders is quite a complicated one because the Doctor has both landed in Albert Square and it's a TV show within Doctor, Doctor Who. 
And also it gets even more mind-boggling when you think that Doctor Who has been referenced in EastEnders. So in those episodes of EastEnders in the Doctor Who universe, uh, what happened? Some pretty poor 3D, if I remember rightly. Oh. With our old school uh, red and green 3D glasses for Dimensions in Time. Mm. Which was, I think, the only thing they got Tom Baker back to do. Mm. Oh. There, Dyson. You are right, I didn't remember it. As kind of, oh, here we go, somebody else has died. Mm. <laughs> and, and actually, characters that have died they aren't just off screen deaths. Yeah. Or. Yeah, the likeable ones live and the nasty businessman survives. <laughs> yeah, he's now got a plan though after a couple of deaths. He needs, he needs a few deaths just to work his way up into actually figuring out what to do. What's on deck 31? Oh. That's, that's another classic thing, isn't it? You had like on um, what was it? The top one with the Jagrafess mm-hmm. on in long game. Four, 500. Always on these separate decks and things, what's actually yes. there. Mysterious goings on. You shouldn't call yourself unemployed, uh, Kylie. It's job seeking. Job seeking. Keep positive. Is it job seeking or. Oh, what's the other one I've heard? Uh, unwaged. Is, 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 is another classic. When you, well, job seeking is, is, is an active thing. Yeah, so, that's true. Uh, this, this is what I got told on the employability skills course I went to. Oh, right. But I, I do now have some work. For eight weeks, so that's good. Just veering off into the biographical. Only eight minutes left, another countdown. Countdown to extinction. Oh, the floating barge ship is a little, just reminding me, somewhat reminiscent of Return of the Jedi. You have a big kind of Oak cruise liner thing going over the desert because you have um, C2, uh, um, R2D2 with the serving the drinks. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, the inevitable snog. This is why I should have an ugly doctor to avoid this taking place. <laughs> Do you have any ugly actors in mind, Stephen? Oh, I don't know, uh, who are... Oh. Perhaps not ugly, perhaps just older. Older, older yeah. Older, actor. I don't know, I haven't really thought about it recently. But, uh... As an aside there, I wouldn't be surprised if this next season would be Matt Smith's last season. 
and do three see three years mm. well you had the whole um uh, yeah I mean you've had things set up with the fields of Transalor and the fall of the elephant which suggests the elephant doctor's death mm. well yeah and the doctor who questioned kind of Mm. Would, would would seem to give some kind of closure to the the question is is will they regenerate him before or after the 50th anniversary or during bold to do it during although I suppose you could mess around with um, regeneration and mm. turning into previous incarnations before finding his his right one mm. as, it, as it was or you could, and they could have frac- oof, I suppose you could get fractured time Some, well, something Steve Moffat would like doing anyway yeah. fractured time thing regeneration multiple other doctors running around mm. just being generally quite crazy yeah um, Timmy Tim <laughs> <laughs> almost at that level of craziness I'd like to get Terry Gilliam in <laughs> it would be absolutely. Oh, I'd, love, uh, I'd love to yeah, get them to uh, direct a Doctor Who episode. That would be brilliant. Maybe there is precedence for big Hollywood uh, Hollywood directors do things. He did get um, Tarantino did hmm. uh, CSI episode. Well, um, Steven Spielberg's a Doctor Who fan, and Peter Jackson. That's also true. Although, if Peter Jackson directed an uh, episode, rather than being 45 minutes, it would be three hours. <laughs> and come out with an extended edition as well. You should, you should go back in time and actually uh, get the uh, Dark's Master Plan to be directed by, his, <laughs> by Peter Jackson. <laughs> but actually... Now, I, I think if a Doctor Who movie ever did happen, it'd be quite likely to be something like the Dalek Master Plan. So to have Daleks to be a big romp across time and space, so you had a big quest type thing, but uh, you could go into the past and future mm. and present day within the space of one story. I still think the Trial of a Time Lord would work if they redid it. It's, I like the concept of the trial. Is it a film or? No, it'd be a mini. Well, no, it's a, no, it's too. He wouldn't be able to do it now. But uh, just thinking of redoing episodes, Trial of the Time mm. Lord would be could be really epic. If you, I always remember reading about Doctor episodes in Jean-Marc Lefissier's program. Guide, oh yeah, and that's where I, on the strength of that synopsis, I got Warriors of the Deep because Warriors uh, of the Deep sounds immense. And then yeah. we had the Merca. Yes. Because <laughs> I remember I um, listened, I got from the library Peter Davison reading the novelisation of Warriors of the Deep. Uh-huh. And so I heard that before seeing any of that. Uh, and so I sort of imagined this uh, dimly lit base with um, atmospheric sort of. Uh, lighting and ripples of water and all this kind of thing and this uh, sleek um, uh, killing machine murker. Oh dear, oh dear, the disappointment. Match looking oddly like uh, the Davros here mm. uh, in actually Revelation of the Daleks when, he, when he's inside the head spinning oh, yeah. bit. Um, 
and also reminded me of Avatar as well for some reason. You have that big ro- robotic cyborg fight thing at the end. Mm. It's an evil businessman out to make money. No. No, I've never seen those before. <laughs> Ever. How any... Has there been any good businessman character in Doctor Who ever? Um, 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 let me think, let me see. I really can't think of any. Also, that looking down into the uh, fires is a bit like mm. in the planets of the Yehud. It's a similar. They probably use the same architecture to and just mix it around. Um, yeah, businessmen don't come in with a terribly good uh, reputation in Doctor Who. I mean, the best you could have would be. Um, Henry Gordon Jago, who's kind of a businessman mm. in Towns of Wanchang, but is really a promoter, really. But he, but he's in show business, darling. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> show business. It's not. It's not like making metal things or the Zelda. Well, you sit there, take inside the impact, gentlemen. I have men waiting to retrieve me from the ruins, and enough of all the camps to retire me to the beaches of Penhaxico, too. Penhaxico, too. <laughs> yeah, I think. I don't know. It's just not terribly interesting as a motivation when they're just out to make money. Um, I mean, you get that I mean you had to lady Cassandra O'Brien as well she was just out to make money and it's just I mean it, it can be interesting but it's got to be worked from the base up of their general motivations and their background or whatever for actually yeah money in itself isn't interesting it depends what why and what they want to do with it Because greed um, can be interesting, but it depends why and what for. It feels a bit bland when it's just greed for money. If it's greed for something else, mm-hmm. um, oh, one of the things I like um, is that although the doctor says about oh, it will wipe out an entire continent or hemisphere or whatever it is uh, it, when it actually happens in the turn back timeline all it does is wipe out London it's like um, the doctor is just guessing and he always makes it sound <laughs> more melod- as melodramatic as he can make it kind of no driving a pickup truck to defeat the evil cyborg business man. just what you're on to Christmas yeah Fort lifts. 
this is how your presence gets uh, delivered on that pallets in Argos and uh, an Amazon automated systems it is just a bit stupid <laughs> oh, oh no, no it's going into slow motion oh no oh no she's the, doomed the worst thing though about slow motion is where authors decide to put slow motion into writing <laughs> So no, this is a visual concept, not for writing. <laughs> and the music has gone quiet. No, the violence, uh, shouting. Uh. But to make it, <laughs> that's just a stupid face <laughs> from Max Clifford. Not Max Clifford. Oh, it'd be funny if it was Max Clifford. <laughs> no, that would be brilliant. Fate of Black. What happens to the Fate of Black Ooh. ending there? We've still we've still got to have the um, cameo by the Queen and her corgis. Max Oh. David Tennant doing his this, action hero walk. Th- this was in the trailer as well. This shot. The doctor walking in slow motion with explosions behind him. I think it had the uh, I'm 903 years old thing over this bit. All I'm expecting you to is, is to walk through a styrofoam wall <laughs> and then turn up with the, the Superman outfit on. Well, here he, here he is. He's reprogrammed the angels and he's about to ascend. I thought he was. He, he, he should have done the. Um, oh, I can't do it. Is, is it that? The the um, the 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 Jesus Pope, the Pope pose, the, the fingers. <laughs> yeah, the, the doctor hand. being carried into the sky by angels. Oh, they're doing the Superman thing. <laughs> the angels putting their. Oh no, really? Up. Actually, it's, it's it's kind of an inverse. It's white power. It's not black power. <laughs> it's the white power salute. It's using symmetry instead of the white white love. Smash through the floor. <laughs> yeah, he's been on his own all episode, pretty much. Just not dying. Handily said, engine failure, as if we didn't know. Alonso. Paying off a joke. Alonzi, Alonso, paying off Doomsday, I think it is, or Army of Ghosts, where he first says Alonzi and says he always wants to meet an Alonzo. Now, of course, the clever thing with um, the Christmas special, well, not, not exactly Christmas special, but the end of time, is how it sets up Alonzi as the Doctor's last words but then doesn't use them because you have it repeated a couple of times in the episode including the big speech thing where he's piloting the ship down to earth words of great comfort Alonzi sort of building it up as a catchphrase it's a stupid observation but before when he was piloting the ship he was just pulling it left, left and left like 
at least eight turns. It's like, I'm sure you've got full lock-off at some point. He doesn't think he's spinning it. Was it unit he just found? I didn't quick. Or did he find the Queen direct? I imagine in the curlers with the corgis in the Glamorgan building, isn't it? Or was that main? <laughs> it's wealth defying gravity and defying the laws of physics by saying no <laughs> to the uh, <laughs> to the Titanic. And it's apparently at one point he did actually consider um, crashing it into Buckingham Palace. Wouldn't, the, wouldn't that be? Wouldn't it that make might, us terrorism? Terrorism. It, it, it might have been taken the wrong way at Christmas. Merry Christmas, says the Queen. Yes. Thank you, Doctor. Which he wouldn't have done if it had blown it. Because I remember was it. Um, Gary Russell was saying that was it the two subjects that Doctor Who can't touch from on high from the BBC was terrorism and uh, like black magic mm. basically uh, I don't know maybe, maybe they would have considered uh, firing an object into a building as a terrorist <laughs> a Christmas, <laughs> I mean it does actually turn in turn left of course yeah, it's almost slightly different though because that's kind of an alternate future so, yeah. you, so you can kind of get away because you kind of reset it at the beginning that so you can kind of get away with it. The doctor saves the day, except for Kaiden and a few others. If I'm right, didn't Kai come back as a hologram? Wait a moment. Yes, I, I, I thought as much. Which, I, again, I thought was an. A bit of a contrivance at the end. Okay, you've killed her off, that's fine. Hmm. Don't bring her back for the kind of tear, deliberate tear jerking hologram ethereal disappearance. Oh, here we go. It, it's something I don't like in anything really it, it, it just seems a little forced I, no, not as in technically as in going through messing around with the wires that couldn't take place just as in the story working it just feels a bit you, you're just trying to pull you know what, what strings to pull and you're just doing it for the sake of it mm. rather than for having any intrinsic merits in the plot Oh, so a new cynic, not I'm wanting not, your heart, heart, heart strings. No, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Heart strings is fine if it's done in the right way. I tell you what's really sad. Have you ever seen Grave of the Fireflies? No. That now to be fair, that is out to that is a lot out to get you, mm. but it actually works. I think better intrinsically the story is. Second World War Japan the mm. drafted young guy and his daughter and his parents die and stuff um, from the late 80s 
early 90s, I think. Oh yeah, and this probably annoyed me as well. <laughs> Doesn't this kind of class as kind of holographic necrophilia? (laughs) (laughs) And she goes off to become Stardust. Stardust. Which is a bit like um, in Pullman's Historic Materials with the ghosts becoming dust, their molecules scattering to the wind. Just be glad that in one of the series finales or his regeneration, you didn't get uh, swirly dust coalescing into Kylie for one last goodbye or something. Oh yes, I'm, I'm, I'm still awaiting the return of the Doctor's daughter for no apparent reason. That's quick. 20 minutes rescue ship. Rescue ship? You can't get an ambulance quicker than that. Which we probably could hear. But, uh. Doctor's looking sad. Oh, poor Doctor. Emo Doctor. Mr. Cooper's obviously, obviously injured because he has a plaster on his head. <laughs> He's aged quite a bit. He still looks quite useful. I think it looks a lot. He ages a lot more at the end of the next season. Because mm-hmm. looking at him in the uh, Christmas Invasion, yeah, he's really looks really really young. And the nasty guy is stinking rich out of it. Yeah. Transferred the his stocks to the rivals at the right time. There's no justice. <laughs> Saying what we all think, Mister Cooper. But that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> if you could decide who lives or dies, surely it depends on how and why you choose who lives and who dies is more of a question rather than the fact that you could actually do it. Mm. It never seems to... It seems to be a, a running theme to some extent of having a great power is by itself something which is bad. Well, you get... It, it's a similar theme. You've got that in Tortured as well if you decide to who can live and who can die that makes you a monster no one should have that power have that power but surely on the assumption that you're not perfect well no human is (laughs) well well, no but I mean that's but as a concept I don't think that angle is explored very often it's the doctor it's the doctor it's a non yeah no time lord is even <laughs> more fake snow yeah we had that <sighs> that that would be on the Herduck uh, 2 Christmas special bingo yeah ran any reason for 
any object ever doing something to cause snow at the end of the episode. Um, had at the end of the Runaway Bride as well, I think. The doctor used atmospheric excitation to cause it to snow. Credit cards. This is, a, is this a comment on inflation uh, <laughs> that is taking place in the, the Max Capricorn world? Is it really Turkey? But it used to be one and a half million lira to a pound. <laughs> so you get the nice, cosy, cheerful ending with this chap. Oh, because he, he, of course, he gets loads of cash from the other guy does as well. Now, he did a really snooty interview with Doctor Who magazine that Did he? Uh, which they printed. Uh, basically, he just insulted Benjamin Cook, um, said, you're not a proper journalist for using a dictaphone and stuff like this. Did he? Yeah. <laughs> did he say anything else apart from... Oh, uh, it, it was fairly short, but I just ran it. It was quite, quite funny. Ah, uh, they're living on in our memories. Mm. Oh, there's oh, this monthly stardust. It seems a little bit of a false ending, considering what has happened. Mm. Just seems to be tacked on. Let's try and make it happy at the end. Yeah. Um. Oh, in memory of Verity Lambert. That was four years ago. She died. Yeah, he's taking a. Oh no, that was the fires of Pompeii, wasn't it? Mm. Where the Doctor really does become the household god. Yeah. Here we've got the Series 4 trailer, which I didn't think quite worked as a trailer. I think it was just a bit too fast. And I don't like the music. The dun 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 and there's a bit too much running down corridors in it. We know Doctor Who's going to run down cor- corridors. Now, if I'm seeing right, they haven't shown any clips from midnight. They might not have filmed it by that. Ah, that's true. I'll say, oh, you've missed out the best episode of the season. In the flash forward. Anyway, so yeah, it's a bit of an odd one as far as the Christmas special goes. It is surprisingly heavy. I, I didn't remember it being... All uh, the nice characters die. <laughs> except Mr. Cooper. Yeah. Um. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I do quite like it as a story, and I do think it's quite interesting what it's saying and the fallibility of the Doctor. <laughs> Not sure Christmas was the best time to do that story. Yeah, again, it, it, the Christmas thing is tacked on. Other than that, just raised the question as to what extent a good Christmas special has to be Christmassy. Mm. I mean, because you, well, Die Hard is set at Christmas, <laughs> yeah. as is Brazil. <laughs> uh, do you know they are both yes. of the most? Set, I think it's Gremlins is as well. Mm. Um, so that there is precedence for, well, how should we say, less Christmassy Christmas films. Um, to be fair, most of the Christmassy Christmas films are terrible, with the uh, notable exceptions. You know, it's a wonderful life, Home Alone, etc. Thank you. They're actually Christmassy Christmas films. Most of them is irritating. <laughs> um, so, so that does raise that that question. But yeah, it, that said, it's still Christmas Day tonally is yeah is odd. I think the only reason it was there and the way it was was following the Doctor's messianic mm. ascension. The end of the last of the Time Lords. It's funny though, because even when you have the Doctor, when Astrid has died and stuff, and he's making his way up as things explode, you then do get the whole uh, ascending in the arms of angels type imagery. Yeah. So it, it it does seem to be have this rather ambiguous relationship in, in a similar way to Stephen Moffat at the moment even though it, the Doctor's ostensibly stepping back into the shadows you then have the whole Doctor Who thing which is sort of building up the myth of the Doctor even further so it, yeah it's an odd tension and I do think that the new series does tend to err on the side of the overly messianic uh. um, by deliberately addressing it, it's raising it again, even if it's there to kind of knock it down a bit. Mm, the fact is, it's it's there. It it it's kind of like, in a way, it's like Jingle All the Way. Jingle All the Way, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film about the toy, okay. is, is about um, the vacuousness of toys and Christmas. But the whole selling point of the film was that basically it was a complete just cash-in job about Christmas. Yeah. So it was somewhat hypocritical <laughs> because the whole point was you shouldn't be fighting over these toys at Christmas even though the only reason this exists was because this was essentially a fetishised Christmas story and the only reason it was yeah. actually going to tell. So in a way it works a little bit like that. But yeah, I I think it is, it is a fun story. There's some fun lines. It looks impressive. Uh, it is, there are some quite cheesy moments with the green yes. and stuff. But with the Christmas Invasion, that had quite a balance of light and dark, but I think it managed it a bit better. This felt a little more uncertain in terms of how it moved between the sort of lighter and the darker elements, I think. Well, the Christmas Invasion had a... It was very grounded in that it had the Christmas thing with Rose and his mm. family and the things could play off that. Yeah. As well, which which grounded that quite nicely and it interlinked it well. Um, with the whole bleakness aspect of this, do you think that's possibly one of the reasons why they wanted to have a villain in it, so that they could defeat a villain? Yeah. Because otherwise you're then pretty much left to a midnight-esque setup, mm-hmm. uh, And then there's no real winning of any description. There's just not losing as badly. Mm. Because if he didn't have that, that would be essentially what would have happened. Yeah. 
But yeah, uh, well, we'll hopefully be back soon to discuss the this year's Christmas special, The Doctor, The Widow and the Wardrobe. We don't know yet whether or not we'll get a preview from the BBC, uh-huh. I've asked, but not <laughs> heard back. But we will hopefully have that up by New Year, depending on what everyone's doing over yeah. Christmas. But yes... So stay tuned for that and have a very Merry Christmas from all of us at Impossible Podcasts. If you have any crazy Doctor Who Christmas presents, you know, just email us and we, we, yeah. could, we could possibly do a little, little feature. Yes, who's who's had the most Doctor Who related Christmas presents yeah. this year. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye. You've been listening to The Impossible Podcast. For more Doctor Who commentaries, plus other science fiction and fantasy reviews and discussions, please visit our website, impossiblepodcasts.blogspot.com, or search for us on iTunes. We'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, or email us via impossiblepodcasts at gmail.com. Thanks for listening!